0: A-B-L-E-S. Ebles. Remember that name because if you suffer from chronic joint and muscle pain like me, then Ebles Broad Spectrum CBD Oil is your answer to your prayers the evil story began with the search for something natural to help manage chronic migraines but evil's helps more than just migraines from managing chronic pain anxiety depression and more evil's is truly a game changer in the natural alternatives to big pharma drugs and yours truly brian nichols here on the brian nichols show can indeed vouch for the quality of evil's having a herniated disc in my back whew, coupled with years of sports injuries I was struggling to find something, anything to help manage my pain. That is until Ebels. With the best quality product and customer service in the industry, Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil and Ebels Freeze Gel easily stand above all the competition. And right now, Ebels is offering a special discount to all members of the Brian Nickel Show audience on all orders. All you have to do is head to Ebels.com and use promo code TB. NS, the Brian Nichols Show, right? TBNS at checkout. That's it. Disc on applied. Again, the code is TBNS at checkout to start managing your pain today with the highest quality CBD on the market. One more time, That is code TBNS at checkout. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who is getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and oh, our cool. typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> You're on the Brian Nichols show today to hear our good friend and returning guest, Brad Palumbo. Brad is a absolute rock star over at Fee, the National Review, Washington Examiner and Breaking Boundaries, his amazing podcast. Brad is a freaking superstar, and the guy is a powerhouse. He's working nonstop, putting out great content, pro-Liberty content, and actually making some real changes and positive movements in the Liberty Movement. We're getting things accomplished. And today, Brad joins us here on The Brian Nichols Show for a special election 2020 in review, looking at some successes, right? Looking at, wow, Trump got 28% of the LGBT vote and also increased his support amongst all minority groups, but lost support amongst white men. Okay, talk about that. But also how identity politics really took a big hit here in the 2020 election. Uh, Discussing a lot of ballot initiatives that uh, got voted down that were very anti-liberty, especially looking at California. Good work, California. And then, yes, a uh, a quick uh, post-mortem. the LP candidacy here in 2020 what went right, what went wrong and where we can get better. I said it uh, if you did not listen to my conversation with Ian Dunt on the, uh, the main episode today this is not a critique of, of Joe Jorgensen as a person or uh, the LP as an organization but more so what we can do better, right? How we can learn from our mistakes, learn from what went right, what went wrong and then ultimately make sure we're putting ourselves in a better position so when the time comes in 2024 we are in a better opportunity to truly spread liberty through the electoral process. So a great conversation here, as always, with our friend Brad Palumbo. So without further ado, onto the show, Brad Palumbo here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thanks for having me back, man. Absolutely. Election 2020. It's in the rearview mirror, well, kind of. It's not actually in the rearview mirror where we're still seeing it very plain in, uh, in front of us as we're still counting balance to this day as we're recording here on 11-5 uh, Thursday. Uh, it's, it's amazing, dude. November 5th, and we're still trying to figure out who's going to be president of the United States. Now it's looking like it's leaning towards Joe Biden. It it, it there seems to be a more the votes are coming in the precincts that are left, it it's going to probably swing towards Biden. Um so with that being said, we're kind of I think as a a nation in the mindset of what's next. I think we're seeing uh, it's going to be a Biden presidency, a GOP-controlled Senate, um, and then a a House that's going to be actually still Democratic, but it's going to be a little less strong, I'd say, as it was back um, with, I thought, the mandate in 2018, right? Um, But Brad, despite the electoral loss, I would say, from the GOP, from a cultural standpoint, and and I would say I'm, I'm adding culture in the way also we are kind of looking at the politics, because there was this mentality that, there was this strong desire to move America towards this very, very progressive collectivist mentality, and, and it was really focused on this mentality of, of identity politics, right? And your first uh, episode here in The Brian Nichols Show, we actually discussed um, the, the ridiculousness yeah. of identity politics, and voters overwhelmingly rejected identity politics at the, the ballot booth this year. So you've been doing a lot of work digging into some of these rejections across the, the, the board. And the one you brought up was 28% LGBT voters voted for Trump. That's double, more than double than it was in 2016. So what was it about Trump that attracted folks that I think a lot of, not only just GOP uh, voters, but I'd say a lot of left voters too, thought were completely out of the uh, the, the, the game here for Trump to ever secure?
1: Well, look, I'm not a Trump supporter, but we were told for years that Donald Trump was an evil white supremacist bigot and actually Democrat Party activists even said he was the most anti-LGBT president in American history, even though he literally came in supporting gay marriage. So I think what this really shows you, because you mentioned LGBT voters, and that's a big one I want to talk about, but it's also Hispanic voters. It's also black voters. He made gains with everybody except for white men, uh, interestingly enough. And so I think it shows you a couple things, but. First and foremost, it shows you that more and more Americans just aren't buying the hard left's identity a driven uh, oppression Olympics narrative. I mean, people are sick of it. They, it doesn't correspond to reality. It doesn't correspond to their real life. And people are, uh, it, it, I think it's a good thing, right? Whether you like Trump or you like Biden, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, we should all want to live in an America one day where everybody gets to just vote as an individual based on you know their personal values. They don't feel like they have to vote one way or the other just because they're gay or black or whatever. Um, so so that's a, it's a heartening development to me to see them kind of breaking with these historical monoliths because it really does take us to a place where Democrats will have to actually cater to those people if they want their votes. They can't just take them for granted and assume that the kind of chains of identity politics will keep them in the Democratic column come Election Day. So I think its it's not that Donald Trump is some you know, amazing candidate that people love, I think that's obviously not true outside of his most fervent base. But I think a lot of this simply comes from people rejecting democratic radicalism. I mean, I wrote about Kamala Harris recently. She supports 20 times as much new government spending as Hillary Clinton campaigned on in 2016. I crunched those numbers. That is astounding. Joe Biden was literally flirting with packing the Supreme Court uh cramming the new states in to seize control of the senate i mean hiking taxes reversing popular tax cuts getting rid of the oil industry and fossil fuels event in short order right these are things that most people whether they're black or hispanic or gay or trans or whatever they look at that and they think that's radical they think that's unhinged they think it's off-putting, and they don't want anything to do with it, Brian. So I think that's what we've seen in the exit polls so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and one
0: of the things that's really uh, it's it's humoring to me, right? Is I I've seen a lot of the response that has been so negative, being those who I would say are are the 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 white male or you know just the predominantly white liberal elitist mentality that it's it's very disconnected from what you're seeing in the actual response and and I think you're I mean you're seeing right that the the mentality has shifted you had 50 cent and lil wayne endorse trump that's insane that that would I mean if you were to say that back in 2016 I think your average person would have laughed in your face and rightfully so because that expectation wasn't even on the board but I think what also Trump helped do was that he did. I mean, if we we're gonna, you know, let's just assume that Trump's not gonna move forward as the president going into 2020, right? I think we're gonna look at the history books of what did Trump actually help do, right? I think he helped shine the the disinfectant, right? The sunlight to be the disinfectant of how just poisonous a lot of these ideas truly can be. And he exposed how deep in, ingrained these ideas and, and really the the approach to get these ideas into mainstream that they were re- very rooted in, in our educational systems we're seeing it across you know in, in training seminars and stuff and just the overall way that A lot of these more radical, um, progressive ideals were approaching just the way we approach each other in society. How do we have conversations with each other? It was the point almost like of dehumanizing. So I think to your point, Brad, we're seeing that being ultimately rejected. And I would say that I think Trump, at the very least, he served as kind of the um, (laughs) I mean, he's the bull in the China shop, but. I mean, at the same point in time, he did what he had to do and kind of exposing a lot of those things and also the media. I mean, you, we, he really showed the media to, to be a, as biased as they truly are. And I mean, I don't know how like CNN or MSNBC can possibly get reputation back after the way that they've handled the past four years. And especially because we're going to see it's going to be a complete flip with, with Biden. I mean, that that's almost a guarantee. They're, they're going to put the, the you know softball gloves on. And that's, of course, until I'd say Kamala Harris is going to take the reins. And I, I I'm... More confident than not that that's going to be the the ultimate next step. Um, I was I heard of the conspiracy theory that isn't so much a conspiracy theory that back when Nancy Pelosi was floating the twenty fifth amendment idea at the uh, the end of the election there it wasn't about Trump it was going to be about how they could use it for Biden. Um, At at a certain point in time when they could put Kamala into into office. And I mean, that makes kind of make sense. I wouldn't be surprised because that'd be a a very fun way that Democrats could not only get her in, but sneak around and get her for 10 years, because if you were to have her um, go in after two years, she could serve out that term and then still technically run for two more terms.
1: So you could have a 10 year Kamala Harris. president. You're going to give me nightmares talking about sorry, 10-year Kamala Harris presidency. Good Lord. But hey, her state's state's getting getting better.
0: Isn't her state getting better, though? Because they actually are showing that they're rejecting some of the policies that she used to promote. So, I mean, hey, one of the things that was on the ballot, rent control. They said, nah. Just kidding. They they said, hey, by the way, Uber, Lyft, we're gonna give you guys exemptions so you guys can be you know independent contractors. There's a, I think there's a big awakening, Brad, in states even like California, as radical as they are, rejecting some of these very, uh, you know, at what were considered popular progressive policies that were even championed by yeah. our very possible future vice president.
1: They were. I mean, and you mentioned rent control and Uber and Lyft, but actually going down the list, they had tons of ballot referendums in California, a very liberal state that were left wing. They wanted to uh, basically end the gig economy as we know it. Uh, so there was an amendment that allowed Uber and Lyft to be exempt from industry destroying regulations that would have made gig economy work illegal, basically as a full time profession. Um, and then there was also a question literally liberals and progressive activists tried to repeal the equal protection clause of the California state constitution. The California state constitution says that the government can't discriminate on the basis of race. It's good, right? You would think. Now, for the progressives and wokes, they literally want that repealed because it stops them from doing pro-diversity woke affirmative action discrimination. So they're literally campaigning against Equality under the law, and they tried to repeal it. But even California voters said, yeah, no, we're not going with that one, uh, you crazy leftist. So it was it was heartening to see on rent control, too. You mentioned that. I mean, rent control is a policy that he, that like 95% of economists know it doesn't work. When you try to limit rents, you end up just limiting the supply of housing. You make the whole crisis even worse, uh, and it, it's a disaster all around. And they wanted to get more permission to do more rent control, and voters said no so you have these liberal democrats and these progressive uh icons like kamala harris and simultaneously california is still voting to support them um, but they're rejecting their ideas and so that's a silver lining and that's something that i'll take away as a win for liberty and a win for free markets from this election no matter what the final result is
0: yeah and i mean even states like illinois they just rejected getting rid of the flat tax and it's like Huh. These are very overtly I mean maybe not necessarily libertarian, but small government approaches to to how to you know function societies. And and you know, the people, when they see the policies in action, I say by and large, they, they embrace them and and they reject the ideas of, of going to you know these more progressive solutions that are alternatives. And I think it's because they are seeing that they don't they don't really work when you actually apply them to the, you know, the actual problems that we have. And you you mentioned rent control. I mean, that's obviously one of the biggest issues that's been discussed over the past year. Um, and we, we see this, you know, especially when in response to the, the protests for the, the George Floyd murder, that it did turn into a much more socioeconomic conversation. I mean, here in Philadelphia, we have had um, the, the Ben Franklin Parkway, which is the, one of the main tourist attractions. Uh, it was a homeless encampment for I forget how many months. And it was because Philadelphia was basically at a standstill and a standoff with the the homeless encampment leaders of where they were going to put the, the folks that didn't have homes. And part of the problem for those folks is that they were looking for you know places to live, but the zoning restrictions in Philadelphia make the, the housing costs so so freaking expensive. And especially, you know, you're living in, you know, a nine hundred square foot row home and it could be upwards as five hundred thousand dollars depending on on the location of the city and it's like how do you how can you even justify that in some cases but they they do so because again you're to your point when you limit the the actual supply of housing and, and you artificially change the, the costs of the, of the rent you're just going to um, instantly push people number one out of the marketplace they can't afford it but number two what's the incentive structure in place for for you know property owners to go ahead and rent out locations i mean they have to still pay property taxes, which are going up, you know, throughout. It's going skyrocketing. And I mean, hey, maybe school choice could help with uh, getting rid of some of the property taxes because then you can change the conversation about property taxes, eh, and where they're going towards. But um, let's move forward a little bit here um, because this is probably going to take a little bit more time to talk about, Brad, and that is. Darn it all! Third-party success, and I would say it was not success. And this um, is—I'm not. I'm starting up this conversation. I'm not trying to crap on Julie Jorgensen. I I had her on the show twice. I think she's a very, very nice lady. I'm looking forward to having her on the show again at some point in the near future. Um, But the, the the campaign just did not catch off like it should have. It didn't. It didn't resonate with people. And I don't know if it was a matter of marketing or a matter of sales, oh, okay, let me, let me say this. I do know the answer in my personal opinion. I'm framing this up for you, Brad, though, because I would love to hear mm-hmm. you. You're, you're not overtly a big L libertarian guy. I mean, you, you are a libertarian party member, correct? Or are you still have your yeah, card? Technically yeah, like, okay.
1: I, yeah, technically I am. Yeah, okay. Yeah, technically I am registered as one. Yeah,
0: but you're not you're not like a rah-rah team GOP, or team uh, libertarian guy. So I think you can kind of serve as an objective third party what happened why didn't the Joe Jorgensen campaign catch on maybe even with some more I would say you know apathetic voters out there who were actually getting involved in the political process for the first time why didn't those voters gravitate towards Jorgensen
1: well look I agree with you that Joe Jorgensen seems like a lovely person an intelligent woman um but I think she was doomed from the start I mean you had a candidate with zero name recognition zero she was starting from absolute scratch where she had no name recognition of any kind with anyone and she ended the election with almost no name recognition of any kind with anyone outside of you know the one percent that always votes libertarian so that was always going to be an insurmountable hurdle or an, an olympian task to try to get your name out there because the lack it this these kinds of things spiral together so you start with no name recognition and then it's really hard to get media appearances, attention to your campaign. That those are the things that foment name recognition. So if you had had someone like Justin Amash, who doesn't have great name recognition with the public, but I'm sure he's got uh, 25 times Joe Jorgensen's name recognition, more importantly, he has name recognition with the political and media class. He's been on CNN, he's been on MSNBC, he's been on Fox News, he could have, and he's actually kind of a media shy guy, so he's not even the best example of this, but someone like him or someone like Rand Paul, I mean, those kinds of people, if they ran at the top of the LP ticket, would get noticed, and then the noticing would carry on. I mean, this happened to a small, smaller extent with Gary Johnson in 2016. He was on TV. He was getting attention. He got town halls with CNN and all this. And And Joe, I think it was always going to be nearly impossible for her to do that, starting from scratch with no name recognition. And I think we also can't ignore the fact that she had no qualifications of any kind. There's something to be said about having political experience. Now, true libertarians like you and I might think it's good that they have no political experience, but you have to extend beyond just pure LP members to win an election and people like politicians with, and, and Trump is something of an exception to this, I will say, but people like politicians with experience. So that's why I think what Young Americans for Liberty is doing, they just had like 90 candidates get elected through the Republican party mostly but to state and local office they're building a bench of people that can win senate senate races and win uh, seats in congress and eventually run for president and will, who will have resumes yes. of time in office and records and qualifications and those people i think will have the kind of the kind of thing that that joe jorgensen never had and, and and that's not her fault it's just it was an inherent flaw in her candidacy Uh, And those two things combined, I mean, it was always going to be an uphill climb, and boy, what a disastrous result to go from Gary Johnson doing fairly well in 2016 and really making a splash, then go back down to 1% and being an afterthought again. Very disappointing.
0: Well, it, you, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to people want the resume. For for better or for worse, they want the resume, and if not the resume, the name recognition, right? And that's why Trump got it in 2015, 2016. He was the exception – well, no, he wasn't even the exception to the rule. He just – he showed that you have to have at least one or the other. And in the case of – unfortunately for Joe Jorgensen, being the former VP candidate in 96, which is – I mean – it's over 20 years ago that doesn't resonate with your average voter and and to be honest Brad they they probably didn't know her then either and that's that's part of the the problem i think libertarians we we forget that our principles mean a lot and and we, we do talk to people on a, on a, a person to person basis we can change their 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 minds but when it comes to running national elections right you you have to have somebody who's willing to not only talk about these kind of issues but it needs to be somebody that people will listen to and and you, if you're not to your point, the, the person that has that instant name recognition, well, goodness, you have to have at least the resume, and that's partly why Gary Johnson and Bill Weld – and don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm This is not an endorsement of Gary Johnson and Bill Weld. but Especially they, Bill Weld. Especially Bill Weld, exactly. But at the same point in time, they had the resume, and that's why com- yep. or organizations like CNN, like MSNBC, even though they wanted to try and embarrass them, and they eventually did – they gave them the shot, right? They gave them the platform to start, and that's that's the needed part. We need to be able to have the opportunity to be on that stage, and that's what we were sorely missing.
1: Right, and I think um, the only way the LP will really over circumvent this is two things: um, they have to get they have to get cool with the idea of running Liberty Light candidates. I mean, Justin Amash was considered by many in the LP not pure enough or too much of a statist. Or, I mean, he's he wants to take the country in a libertarian direction on just about every issue. But no, he's not an anarcho-capitalist and he doesn't want you to be able to sell heroin to three-year-olds. Like, you got to make your peace with that if you ever want to win an election, which is supposed to be the point of a political party. Um, so I think they need to make their peace with the fact that they can accept that they need to run libertarian adjacent candidates, not true purist libertarian ideologues on every issue. And that was part of the problem with I think Joe Jorgen's candidacy is not only did she start with no name recognition, not only did she start with no qualifications of any kind, but she also was running on a platform that would strike most Americans as extremely radical. When you are running in the middle of a pandemic and you're openly saying there should be no centers for disease control, There should be no FDA at all. Abolish them when you're openly saying that you believe there should be zero restrictions on abortion of any kind. Right. These are the kinds of things that most people view as just totally detached from where they're at. Whereas I think a lot of libertarian ideas are quite popular. Cut people's taxes, roll back occupational licensing laws, reform criminal justice, legalize marijuana, end the war in Afghanistan, cut corporate subsidies and cronyism. All these things you could focus on or campaign on that are really mainstream ideas. And then it's okay if you're not a doctrinaire libertarian or you take a middle of the road stance on some of the other stuff. That's, That's the path to taking the country in a more libertarian direction. Right. You can't just run on, if we're thinking of an Overton window, right, you can't just run on one extreme compared to where we are now. You have to run a candidate that is just towards liberty on the Overton window from where we are now. And then when that candidate wins, you can run another one later down the road that maybe is more towards liberty. Right. It's like that is how politics works. And people who are in libertarian party, party circles seem to either not understand. Or not care about how politics works, and if that's true, then maybe they should reconsider and go work in think tank world or the land. And that I'm not, I'm not. That's not an insult, right? There's a, there's a, there is a purpose for purism and ideas and argument and all of that. But that purpose is not political parties. Political parties are meant to people to elect people, and that requires pragmatism and non-rigid ideology. Um, and those are things that are sorely lacking in both the libertarian party broadly and we're lacking in the joe jorgensen campaign
0: yep and uh that's exactly why i entirely refocused my show Uh, about two and a half months ago we started focusing on how we sell liberty that's been the entire focus of my show and it will be the focus of my show going forward probably into 2024 at the very least because right now it is it is very apparent that we, as a greater libertarian movement, have no ability to understand what it is that sells liberty, right? We, we think we know, and this is the problem, is that we've been focused on trying to tell people what it is they need to be concerned about, what they need to care about, right? Instead of saying, hey, what, what, what's the most important thing to you? And to your point, Brad, All we have to do is ask that question and listen and they'll tell us right and they're going to tell us it is low taxes it is getting government out of the way so you can live your life and the more that we embrace that and Echo back, hey, we as libertarians, not only do we agree that we want government out of your way, but we have a means to actually accomplish it. And then here's here's how we do it. You elect local candidates. You elect local libertarians. And then, you like, to your point, Brad, you build up that resume. But I, I don't think a lot of libertarians know what sells. Or, and to your point, they don't want to know what sells. They just want to be right. And, and that's well, one thing I've been going crazy about is do you want to be right or do you actually want to advance liberty and change people's lives for the better? You have to pick one.
1: Well, what's interesting is I don't even remember what state it was in, but I actually saw the Libertarian Party got a state legislator elected. Yep. I believe that was in New Hampshire. Right. That's great. Good job. I mean, that's where all your resources should be going, really. I mean, indeed, because that's how you start. Um, but, and, but then like Young Americans for Liberty got like 95 state legislators yep. who are Libertarian-oriented Republicans elected, right? And then actually in the uh, – so it, it's an interesting paradox because – I simultaneously feel like the GOP is constantly drifting away from libertarian ideas at the same time that the only libertarians succeeding in politics or libertarian leaning figures are Republicans. So Nancy Mace, out of I think it's South Carolina, could be North Carolina, she just got elected to Congress, and she is like a Rand Paul light. She's a very promising uh, a woman, a mother, an accomplished figure, and she just got elected to Congress on a Liberty Republican platform. She's going to be another Thomas Massey Rand Paul in the House. Nick Freitas, a great Liberty guy, uh, I don't actually know. We don't know the result, but he was like – 0.001% deadlocked with for, he was almost about to win a, a seat in the house it could he could just just narrowly lose it I don't think the race has been called but like that's so promising that we can get these. I mean they these people have glowing endorsements from Rand from Rand Paul right like there's a reason for that, because they are in most issues a libertarian direction. I mean, no, like I interviewed Nick Freitas. He is not a hardcore libertarian. For example, on criminal justice reform, he supports some reforms taking us in a libertarian direction, but not all the way. Um, he supports decriminalizing marijuana on the federal level and leaving it up to the States. I support legalizing it on the federal level, but you know what? He's a lot better than Jeff Sessions. (laughs) And he, uh, supports for example, uh, rolling back qualified immunity and reducing it, uh, but not eliminating it. Okay, I would like to eliminate it entirely, but this guy's going to take us in the liberty direction and fight for it. Um, And he still cares about fiscal conservatism and free markets and the debt. And he's going to add to that voice that is desperately needed in the GOP. So simultaneously, I get why people look at the GOP and view them as just statists and having abandoned a lot of this stuff. It's somewhat true, but at the same time, I mean, it's still like the path that we're seeing to victory for Liberty Ideas is still in the GOP. So um, that's because the GOP has just become such a big tent that it's like meaningless. I mean, you have Tom Cotton and Rand Paul under the same tent. How? I mean, but that's in a way an upside for libertarians because it shows that we can still make liberty win through the Republican Party in some circumstances.
0: Yeah, and then to the value of the Libertarian Party, then you have folks like Ricky Dale Harrington Jr. out in, in Arkansas running against Tom Cotton for the, the U.S. Senate seat. Otherwise, Tom Cotton was running unopposed. And and again, that there is a role for the Libertarian Party when they want to be a political party, and that is, again, to win political elections. And I've, I've I, I was smiling the whole time you were going um, off back there on on what the goal of a political party should be, because that's what we've been saying here at the Brian Nichols Show for, for literally years at this point, because it is quite apparent that there is a a I was gonna say a small faction, but Actually, it's a quite larger faction than it should be of libertarians in, in the Libertarian Party who do want the Libertarian Party to be that think tank. They don't they don't look at the Libertarian Party as a means of advancing politics and, and liberty on a, a national political stage or even local stage. They look at it as a means to bring people in and then to convert them. Right. And, and that's that's not the goal
1: of a political party. No, that's the goal of the Cato Institute. Correct. Which is great. But like that's not how a political party works. Exactly,
0: and that's what drives me crazy. Is that if we're actually trying to advance things, then we need to have that, that come to Jesus moment of what are we doing? Are we trying to use the Libertarian Party to win elections or to be right? And and I again, I'm hoping because you know with, with uh, the new chair Joe Bishop Henchman, he's made it a point that they are focusing on winning elections. And I mean goodness, he was sharing that he was actually up there in New Hampshire with the new um, the new Senate elect, uh, state rep, and that's exactly what we need a chair to do. Um, and we need to highlight those wins, right, and let those folks know that there is a path to. To winning elections, um, and it's especially focused on those local elections. And we had folks like Todd Hagopian, you know, up in in uh, Oklahoma, who's running for the Corporation Commission against a Republican, who otherwise it would have been an, uh, a seat again unopposed. You know, there's a role. We need those those candidates to stand up and and play that role. But again, looking ahead, because now you know, Brad, we're already looking ahead to 2024. Who is going to be? Because right now, if you're a Republican candidate, you already have the shortlist of people who are going to be running. And a lot of these people are names we know, and that's why they're going to have more success is because they're names we know. And for the Libertarian Party, we the, the name – if we had to pick one politician, it would probably be Justin Amash as the name we know, and we agree – He's not going to be the the big name that's going to get eyeballs like we would a celebrity. So if we had to go down the list, I know you know there's there's not many celebrities who are openly libertarian. I think you know we we mentioned beforehand we were talking you know Kane he's the uh, the mayor of Knoxville, but hey he's a GOP mayor and he's getting a lot done there. Um, but hey, maybe Vince Vaughn. I know Vince Vaughn's been on Ron Paul's, um, you know, Tom or not Ron Paul, uh, Tom Woods show. Um, you know, is is that somebody that would run? Who, what are your thoughts for celebrities? Do, do you think there's anybody out there who we could look to and try to, you know, groom to be the Libertarian presidential nominee in
1: 2024? Yeah, look, names don't come to mind because a lot of famous people are kind of quiet about their beliefs. But that's something that if I was running the party, I would be focusing on. Hugely. I mean, if you could, because part of it is money, too. I mean, the the fact of the matter is that an LP candidacy that could self-fund and inject millions of dollars would immediately be 10 times as serious as any other LP candidacy has ever been. Um, So I think it would be a great idea to find somebody with huge national name recognition. Maybe it's a, a star athlete. Maybe it's an actress. Maybe it's an ex-politician. I don't really know. I don't really care. But the idea is, you got to have somebody who's got charisma. We see in politics right now. I mean, don't. I mean, you got to talk. Talk to me about Bernie. Talk to me about Trump. Talk to me about Ron Paul. People care about personalities and charisma. And You got to have somebody that can ignite people like that and draw them to their personality, and then lead them to the ideas. Uh, and at the same time, it's as a third party. If you're starting with high name recognition. That's clearing a, a huge hurdle from the get-go. And, and with huge resources available for self-funding, that would also clear another huge disadvantage. So if they they got to try to find somebody who's a big name, who's a celebrity, I mean, it, it might not be possible. I don't know. But if they could do that, then I think it would be a different story in 2024. And I guess the second best option is to find somebody who just has a higher profile and credibility and qualifications, like Justin Amash, who would just be taken seriously by a lot more people and could get his foot in the door by a lot more people. Uh, So that would, I think, be the the second best path to go down. So
0: what you're saying is, is that we need to run Kanye in 2024 as the Libertarian nominee.
1: No, we need somebody a little more stable than that, I will say. (laughs) I tried. I, I was trying there,
0: Kanye, because he, he you know, he needs ballot access, right? So I was trying to find a way for ballot access. But no, to your to your point, bro, you're, you're dead on. We need to have somebody. I mean, I'm thinking off the top of my head, I know Russell Okung, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the NFL. He's a, a former, I think former, he's a free agent, a offensive lineman. Uh, he used to play for the Seahawks and a few other teams. He's been going like Ron Paul crazy, and like his Twitter is on fire. And I'm like, my man, you're a former offensive lineman. Like, let's get you involved. I'm, I'm trying to get him on my show. Um, like, There are folks out there who I think they are starting to open up to the message of Liberty and they are bigger names than we would expect and and partly brad i think is we need to have keep having these conversations with people um you know we're not going to be able to find the the folks out there i mean goodness you know I, I i don't even think this would ever be a possibility but like could you imagine chris pratt like if chris pratt ran as a libertarian like that i don't i don't know oh my, my god like but like think of a name like that like that's what yeah. the libertarian party would need and part of it brad and i i'm i am optimistic because i think what we see is a lot of these celebrities, they don't speak out on purpose because of the, the cancel culture that is out there. And it's, it's mostly based on, again, this toxicity of identity politics. And we just saw a resounding rejection of that. So maybe it's going to let more folks stand up and say, like, no, I don't I don't believe in this and it's OK. Maybe the Chris Pratts of the world, instead of just not talking about politics, will be open and saying, hey, actually, you know what? Instead of not just telling you that, I'm not going to go to a Joe Biden fundraiser, but I'm going to actually tell you what I believe and why I believe it and stand firm in those convictions. I'm hoping that's what we're going to see come from not just this election, but at the very least, looking back at the past four years, Trump kind of being that – that avenue for folks who have been more apprehensive to now be more vocal and to stand up, even if they don't, I'm not saying you have to agree with Trump. I'm saying to, to stand up and and follow them. The the mentality of speaking what you believe, don't be afraid. Don't feel that you are going to be canceled. Speak up. More people will be encouraged because they hear people speaking truth and it encourages them to do the same. And, and we're seeing that right now across the board. So my goodness if there's somebody out there who's you know a celebrity that listens to the brian nichols show please give me a call because i'd love to have you in the show and promote you um but otherwise with that being said brad palumbo you always have some great stuff you're bringing here to the brian nichols show so i want to make sure folks uh all obviously go ahead and support the work you're doing now you've been doing great work man over at your podcast i i could not believe you got Rand paul of all folks over on your show um so tell me what's been going on uh you know some new guests you have come down the pike all that kind of fun stuff
1: yeah, so I've really enjoyed the podcast. For I think we've done our first six or seven episodes now, uh, and I've I've had Glenn Greenwald, I've had Rand Paul, I've got Steve Forbes on, Blair White, transgender conservative YouTuber. That was an interesting That was interesting a great one. episode. That was a really good episode. So really interesting some conversations and i've got some good stuff in the pipeline
0: oh by the way i'm sorry Nothing... it's breaking boundaries I, I didn't even say the name of the pod. it's breaking
1: boundaries with brad palumbo if folks are
0: looking to subscribe
1: because it's a great yep. it's a great subscribe apple podcast spotify and we also do youtube brad palumbo on youtube that's where we're actually getting a ton of traction so far uh but so i'm working on a couple big name guests that i can tease but i can't promise it'll happen I am in talks with the Tulsi people. We're trying to make the Aloha Queen come on the show. We're trying to make it happen. Um, And then I'm also in talks with Ted Cruz's people. That could be an interesting one because I think there's uh, something to work with there, but also some inconsistencies that need to be discussed. Uh, But I think that would be a very great conversation uh, from the kind of liberty perspective. And then – Some other great names coming down the pipeline too, uh, but that's just what what I'm going to be trying to do with the show is having these conversations with these people about big picture ideas that matter uh, because I think that's what's missing. There's too much focus on the day-to-day headlines and not enough focus on the battle for ideas and the battle for our culture, which will ultimately determine our long-term trajectory. So it's Breaking Boundaries on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on YouTube, just search Brad Palumbo. I, I recommend everybody check it out. And you get to learn that Rand Paul doesn't like mayonnaise. How about that? Yeah, I ask every guest for their food take, and I've gotten some weird ones. I mean, Steve Forbes likes bacon with peanut butter. Uh, Blair White likes to eat um, ramen noodles raw. Oh, that's
0: right. Oh, that one would gross me out, yeah.
1: Yeah, so so uh, when you, you got to start thinking of yours for when you come on the show eventually, Brian.
0: Uh, okay, it's on the it's on the back burner now. I'll have to make sure I have a good one there. But uh, in the meantime, Brad Palumbo, as always, my friend. Thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. And folks, if you have not yet, go ahead support his amazing podcast, Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo. Thanks again, friend. Thank you. righty, that's gonna wrap up my conversation with our friend Brad Palumbo, Breaking Boundaries. But also all the great work he's doing at Feed, National Review, Washington Examiner, everywhere that Brad does work. He's always having a lot of success. So please do me a favor. Make sure you continue to support Brad and all the great work he's doing. Uh, and make sure you tell him that Brian sent you. And also, guys, if you could do me a favor, uh, while you share today's episode with family and friends, give me a tag at B Liberty Facebook, Twitter, minds.com, and parlor.com, Liberty, Give me a tag. I will give you a share and a follow. Guys, I am so, so appreciative. An incredible week we had here on the Brian Nichols Show. A week in review, uh, for sure. Looking back, we had Ian Dunt here on the big channel. Uh, now, Ian had a great conversation, how to be a liberal, right? Which sounds weird. How do you be a liberal? But no, we're talking about the classical liberal, guys. It, it's it's different, I promise. Uh, Peter Quinones came to the show back here on Wednesday, had a great conversation about the monopoly on violence, his brand new, Documentary he co produced, uh, but also discussing the lockdowns and the different perspectives that there are from the left and the right. And then on Monday, we had a libertarian senatorial candidate down in Georgia, Brian Slobinski. Now, Brian obviously did not see the result as a libertarian candidate that we wanted to see, but it gave you a great opportunity to learn why there is a definite need for libertarians as a third option. So, three great episodes. And then here, this episode with Brad, making it four uh, episodes for the week uh, with this awesome bonus episode. So So thank you to Brad for joining us uh, at short notice to do a quick recap. um, So looking ahead to next week, as I mentioned, we have some great shows coming down the pike. So make sure if you have not yet hit that subscribe button. But otherwise, guys, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on the Brian Nichols show for Brad Palumbo. We'll see you next week.